Peace. You're tuned into the Edible Activist Podcast. I am your host and favorite edible activist, Melissa L. Jones. On this show, we feed you empowering narratives and perspectives from the voices of emerging Black people and people of color in food and agriculture who are stewarding the land, healing communities, and advocating for food justice and economic power across the globe. Our rich contributions and stories exemplify the spirit of activism in their own edible way. Let's get started. For today's show, again, I'm super excited to to have Ruth Tyson um, on the show, who is no um, first time being on the show, I guess officially, but no stranger to the food space. And so we will be talking all things um, food justice, advocacy, food apartheid, foraging, which I'm super excited to just dive into just a bit more, and agroforestry. So Ruth has been doing some really amazing things out in this space and leading this work in those three areas, um, and more specifically agroforestry. That's another thing that I'm super excited to get into. Um, so just as a, a brief intro, because Ruth is going to tell you all about who she is, but um, Ruth is a native to Prince George's County. Um, for those who are not familiar, it is a county in Maryland. Shout out to PG. Prince George's County, though. Y'all say Prince George's County. Ruth is also, she's a, a plant lover and a naturalist at heart um, and committed to building sovereign, sustainable, transparent, and just local food communities. Again, Ruth is no stranger to this space. Um, I always have a pleasure of bumping into Ruth at, and shared spaces and, and connections um, here in the D.C. area. And so I am going to invite Ruth into my virtual stage and make sure it's unmuted. Hey, Ruth, thanks for joining me, hey. joining me again. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me again. <laughs> Why did tech want to mess with us yesterday? Like, what's up with that? <laughs> they just wanted us to get a little nap in. <laughs> That's it. That's, you know what? You, it's our, our farmers and our growers and our organizers and our activists, like, y'all deserve naps. So you needed a nap. Okay. <laughs> you needed that. So um, welcome again. Like I've said before, Ruth, you obviously first official time being on the podcast, we had talked about um, you joining me and sharing more of your journey and your experiences. Um, I also had the lovely pleasure. I think when I first met you, I met your mom as well. So I was just so intrigued by just, you know, just talking to, to both of you and just learning more about your work in this space. And obviously, we bumped into each other a few times, um, a handful of times and just shared spaces and have been able to connect, you know, at farms in DC and just other, you know, um, conferences and pre-pandemic, you know, but our last meeting was post-pandemic and we we had an opportunity to get out and see each other at a farm in DC. So shout out to Dreaming Out Loud. But anyway, this is all about you. And so we're going to dive back in. Um, and so I, I definitely, you know, want to just um, kick the show off with just um, telling us like how you how you got started in this work. There's always a, a pre story and a back 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 story. And I know there's so many different lanes that kind of like landed you here. Right. But um, let's name out some of those like significant moments in your life where you was just like, you know what, I think this whole food justice and organizing thing is for me. And I know that partly started with what you witnessed. Um, growing up in Prince George's County. So I'll pause there and just let you take us back to, to you know, some of those significant moments that that transpired and just really um, uh, got you to the space of, of food justice work. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in Prince George's County in Capitol Heights, to be exact. And um, yeah, there just weren't there wasn't a lot of like 
great institutional, you know, things in the neighborhood. Like there wasn't a grocery store. Like there was a gro- there was a Safeway like ten minutes down the street, but didn't have the best quality of things. You know, it was either like moldy or like super expensive, or things were always out. Um, and so we had to, you know, my mom once she started being more like health conscious and like really wanting the best freshest food for us would have to like drive us 20 minutes down the road to like go to Wegmans and get food for us. But, you know, I recognize that as a privilege um, that many folks in my community may not have had. Um, And so, yeah, I just didn't think about food at all until I went to college and like, you know, was studying sociology and environmental studies and um, just like really thinking about, you know, the connection between humans and nature. and I was invited to uh, volunteer at our campus farm, um, just like, you know, planting seeds, harvesting, weeding, things like that. And, you know, I realized through that work, one, that like growing food is amazing. Like it's just such a magical process to be able to see, you know, a tiny little seed turn into this like big, beautiful plant that produces something that you can use to like then sustain your life, you know, and that's tasty too. Um, but also like, me to see that like the biggest way that we interact with our natural world is through the food that we eat every day right like three times a day most of us you know will eat something um but like don't really think about the fact that it came from the earth right um and so farming is like one of the ways that you can most directly like benefit the planet and and in turn be sustained by it um so yeah i was uh volunteering at the the campus farm and after that i was just like yo i got i need to tell everybody to grow their own food like we got to just set up these gardens in our backyard i went home and started a a a compost bin like right outside my kitchen window and was like throwing the scraps directly in there when i was cooking at home and my mom was with it like you you met her she's always been into the gardening and stuff so she was really supportive of it um, but, you know, still, it wasn't like a thing that was like reaching, you know, all the folks in my community. And so one of the first uh, work things that I did for work was teach at a school, um, teaching you know, elementary school kids about gardening and, you know, cooking, just like healthy recipes and things like that. Um, they were really excited about it. Like they would come out to the garden and just be like, Miss Ruth, let me have some Swiss chard and like just eating it straight out the dirt. And I was like, oh, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I was very amused by that. And um, but, you know, I felt limited in my my the impact that I was having because, you know, they weren't eating those same things at home. I would ask them, like, are you going to eat some Swiss chard at home? And they would be like, don't be ridiculous, Miss Ruth. Like my mom would never buy that. I think one of them said, like, my mom only buys chicken, chicken and and, fr- and cake or something like that. And I was just <laughs> like, OK, um, some folks reality. Yeah. I, if you had not mentioned Swiss chard to me growing up, I would have looked at you sideways. Didn't I know what yeah, that was? For sure. <laughs> me either. That's yeah. The thing. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, that makes sense. And I was just like, yeah, you're right. Like, I'm not actually reaching the parents who, you know, have the wallets, have the access mm-hmm. to transformation, who like run the kitchen and things like that. And it's not even just a matter of choice for them. It's not that they're like, I don't want my child to have healthy food. It's like, do they have the time to like experiment with recipes? Right. Do they have access to the grocery store, transportation and things like that. And so that's when I started thinking more about um, policy and like through a program with DC Greens, my friend Asha at the time was running a community advocates program uh, where I was able to learn like the local landscape, like the different organizations that were doing what kind of work, like the different policies like Produce Plus that would uh, supplement folks SNAP dollars to be able to get more funding to buy fresh produce and just like different incentive programs like that. And I was like, this is where I want to be next, you know? So I started doing national policy advocacy and, you know, since then just like really bopping around all of the aspects of food justice and seeing, you know, how I can be useful to the community. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, oh, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So right now I'm, uh, I'm actually working with a farmer's market in PG County, like 10 minutes from where I grew up, which is really amazing. It's like for us, by us, people who are from PG, um, black, you know, who primarily are uh, entrepreneurs of color and farmers of color. We've uh, been sourcing most of our produce this year from farmers in PG County, which is amazing. Um, Yeah. And so it's a really nice community effort and something that I wish I had growing up. So it's really nice to be able to participate in the way that's like I'm able to support building, you know, building up our community in this way. also do some work with agroforestry consulting, trying to figure out ways to support farmers of color, BIPOC farmers getting into agroforestry, um, which I'll talk about more in a little bit. And uh, yeah, things like that is, is how I spend my time nowadays. Just just out on the dirt, you know, here and there and at the farmer's yeah. market, you know, selling amazing produce grown by really dope folks. I mean, it sounds like the life to me. <laughs> yeah, it's a great life. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. That's so awesome. Thank, thank you for sharing that. You know, you mentioned, and I know jokingly, but really for real though, just you know how you kind of like bopped around. But like the whole, you know, food system, as I like to explain it, is like this big wheel, and there's so many different spokes, right? There yeah. isn't just one <laughs> spoke. It isn't just growing the food. There's also policy. There's organizing. You know, right. then there's the the activism. Like how can I, you know, reach the parent? It's community. It's so many things. And so there's labor, you know, there's just there's so many issues and so many acts, right, of of justice. And so um, I just wanted to name that because it's super important and it's very um, easy or maybe not physically easy, but um, I can see how one could, you know, you would have one interest in one area, but then you on to the next because you're not the first person to say, like, I started out with growing and then I went over to policy because that's where May, this may be a little bit controversial, but where a lot of change can happen, has happened, right? Just really yeah. having that policy and that that legislature. So um, I appreciate you naming that. So and shout out to Capitol Heights Farmers Market. I haven't been. I need to go. I'm going to show up. <laughs> I love it. So um, and I believe um, what did I first um, learn of the Capitol Heights Farmer Market? Maybe through Brittany Drakeford? Yes. Probably, yeah. yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so I, I, and actually, I love Capitol Heights. Let me just say that. Like, I love Prince George's County, but also, I don't know, I just, I love Capitol Heights. Didn't grow up there, but I just, there's also, there's so much history rooted in Prince George's County, too, which is a whole yeah. nother conversation, which I know you're yeah. all the way familiar with, but um, just really taking time to really understand the landscape of Prince George's County, I think is just a whole nother journey, a whole nother amazing journey um, to to uncover. But thank you for sharing that. So, um, definitely want to, you know, I know that foraging is something that you are, um, you know, just, uh, it's a delight. <laughs> it's, it's, a, you know, um, I don't want to use the word passionate, but it's something that, you know, that you enjoy doing. I know it's something that you have been exploring for quite some time. Um, and I know when I hear the word foraging, I'm like, oh, I've done it before. I don't know that I can get out and forage and not look to my left and to my right to see what's crawling around me. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but all to, to be serious though, you know, foraging it's, it's, I, I definitely want to dive into it and also really talk to how can we get more color folks out here? You know, foraging like really is a thing and it's how our ancestors survive, right? Like having that internal wisdom to know, okay, like you can eat this berry, but don't eat that. You know, mm-hmm. this is for medicinal uses, you know, this isn't. And so there really right. is so much that goes into 
into foraging. It is an art, it is a science. And so I really want to tap into that. And also maybe by the end of that, persuade some of us to get out there (laughs) and actually forage. So let's talk about, let's talk about foraging for a bit. Cool. Yeah. So I got into foraging just kind of happenstance, honestly, like it wasn't even a thing that I thought about, you know, like because I wasn't as informed about plants, you know, like growing up a tree was a tree. Like I had no idea there were different types of trees and that you could like (laughs) distinguish them by like their bark. I mean, obviously they have different leaf patterns, but I just thought that there was different shapes, you know, like but a tree is a tree, right? A tree is a tree. (laughs) And like all the other plants, like there are so many different types of plants, right? So um, it wasn't even a thing that occurred to me that like there are these edible plants that are all around us. Um, But I was at an event at Three Part Harmony Farm, like maybe seven years ago. and there was a plant walk that was hosted by Holly Poole Kavana, who uh, runs Little Bit Red Bird Botanicals. Um, and she was just like walking us around this two acre plot. Like, honestly, she probably walked us around a space that was like less than 50 feet and was able to point out 10 different plants that had all of these edible or medicinal benefits. And I was just like mind blown. And I was like, from that point on, I was like, I really just need to know about everything going on around me. Um, and so the way that I, you know, informed myself was just signing up for things that I saw, like going on plant walks with people who had been foraging for a while um, and eventually just like researching things on the Internet and like getting books and just like learning botany, which is like how you'll be able to forage safely. So being able to n- know the difference between those things, like the bark patterns of trees or like the leaf shapes of little plants and any colorations or things that you might want to use to be able to discern what's poisonous and what's not and what type of things grow together. Um, but yeah, the, definitely what you're saying about like, I wanna see more of us out there is has definitely been a theme, you know, on all these plant walks I go on, it's just like mostly white people, like I'm honestly often the only black person there. And you know, it's one thing to like be alone as in like not see your folks there, but there are so many cultural things that come up in those spaces, like mm-hmm. them talking about like their ancestors and like, yeah, when we were in Europe, we used to use this. I was just like, I wasn't in Europe with y'all, you know, like <laughs> at I <wasn't> all. There. <laughs> or like, you know, saying like, yeah, and it, if this this plant really reminds me of our skin color, I'm like, that's not my skin color. So it's like it's really, it's really important to have, you know, just that representation because it's not for us the way that they're teaching those things sometimes sometimes i'm not gonna say all of them yeah um but also just like the the ancestral like relationship building that you know indigenous folks had with the land and the plants around them they weren't isolating them in the way that like science does now it's like oh let me study this specimen and like think about it as the the gifts that it has to offer me um and i'm going to extract it from the forest and use it for my own benefit you know Mm -hmm. but like this really like um reciprocating uh energy and like understanding the spirit and essence of plants and not just taking from them you know like asking the plant for permission and like making sure that if i'm going to take something i'm leaving something so like i've been i've been harvesting a lot of pawpaws recently right so i've been using those seeds and like trying to plant them and make sure that i'm past uh you know starting new pawpaw patches places so that that plant is able to sustain its life and evolve and you know things like that so just thinking about how i can give not just take to to each plant um but yeah it's really i've really just been trying to learn and like i'm in those spaces so that i can create more spaces for us you know and i'm not the only one definitely but you know like the black forager has been really popular lately mm. on the internet and she's been spreading the good news about the things that we see so often but don't even think about eating um and, and really creative ways to prepare them too so 
yeah, definitely highly recommend that folks try it <laughs> at least. I'll try it, but with, with guidance, with someone who, sure. who knows. So my mom and I, we um, did a foraging um, tour um, with Naraj at Cultivate the City. Yeah. And it was amazing. Um, now we did see a couple snakes. And when we saw one person running, you know, I was like, do we run too? And like, <laughs> sorry, not to scare. This is probably not persuading anyone to forge, but I'm just letting y'all know what my real experience was. But just being able to point out like a mulberry tree, right? And yeah. to taste the mulberries. It's just, it's, mm -hmm. it's amazing. And it is a thing that, you know, I know for me, I would have to be more intentional about and just want to be more intentional about. But I'm so glad that you, because we talk, there's a lot of conversation around like building relationships with plants and building relationships with the land, right? But I'm glad that you lean into like not just taking but you know asking for permission but also like giving back and so because i was going to say can you i mean that's a obvious example you know like replanting it so it can sustain it's an entire yeah. ecosystem right? right so right. um i'm so glad that you that you lean into that um i guess what is what is one thing not that we're here to like pull anybody's leg to go out and start foraging tomorrow but like you know, do you have any suggestions or advice other than just being open for like how more folks of color can get on the space? And I, I'm sorry that that was your experience when you first started foraging and being in a space with people who did not look like you, because I can only imagine <laughs> like uh, how that must have felt. But, um, you know, how could how can we like do we need to they're like black foraging groups like what can we promote? Um, like what what are some some tips or guidance that you feel, you know, may not get them out there tomorrow, but just start to think about, you know, so yeah. at least open to the idea of foraging. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's a great question. I honestly don't know of any like black foraging groups like i know folks who like go on foraging walks and things and yeah i know at least one other black person dr you in the area that like takes mm. people on foraging walks and i just started doing plant walks through the capital market actually so oh, okay. they will hopefully have some more coming up um but yeah as far as groups that's something that i'd be open to if anybody's interested let's get it started like we could have a little group chat or whatever and just go on regular walks um because I was yeah. about to say, tag, you're it, Ruth. <laughs> Not to put more <laughs> on your plate. But I'm glad that you mentioned the plant um, walks at the at the farmer's market because that can be a start, you know, showing up for, for sure. the farmer's market and then tapping in that way. But I would love, would love to see, you know, a, a group of, of uh, you know, um, black folks and people of color who who are showing up and, and open to the idea of, of foraging and starting the discussions. I would love to, I would love to see that. Yeah. And the, and the thing is like, it really just requires courage in any way. Like I think a lot of times the fear, the same way we were talking about farming yesterday, like there's this like cultural or, you know, internalized um, epigenetic like aversion to like being in the soil in that way mm -hmm. because we were oppressed in that. And, you yes. know, same in same with the woods, but like culturally, like I know growing up, even today, like as a person who is very confident in identifying certain things, like my grandma would be like, don't put that in your mouth. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm grown. Like, I know I'm not about to poison myself, but like, they will definitely like be like, don't eat that. Don't go in the woods. There's poisonous, there's scary things. Like that's the thing that has been ingrained yeah. in so many of us in our lives. And like, yeah, snakes are scary, but like, that's something that you can combat with uh, information, right? Like, yeah. how can I learn? 
when I see a snake in the wild, how do I respond to that? You know, like, mm. how do I equip myself with information about poison ivy to know that, like, it's not just a thing that I need to be afraid of. It could be anywhere, but like learning, you yeah. know, where it grows, you know, how it grows and it's different phases of growth. So that if I do see it, I can protect myself against it. Um, things like that to just like prepare yourself, like identifying mm. within yourself, what is holding me back from this experience? You know, mm. what am I afraid of? What is it that I need to be comfortable in yeah. this? Is it, you know, a buddy? Do I need to invite my my family member, my best friend, my partner or whatever to feel more comfortable in this experience? So that's like an internal process, right? But yeah, definitely connecting with community, reading. There's a really good book called uh, Braiding Sweetgrass that I read and that like- Braid, Braiding, Braiding Sweetgrass? Oh, braiding, okay. yeah which is by um, a woman called Robin Wall Kamara. Um, and she is a ethnobotanist. So like studies plants, but also people and culture and is an artist and like, is just a really brilliant writer um, and talks about foraging and like the relationships of plants uh, in the forest and their ecosystems and the relationship with uh, humans in a really beautiful way. And I think it really like, grounds the values and ethics around foraging that I think are necessary for anyone to that that is interested like it's not a thing you just go out and do and start taking yeah. stuff it's like how do i really like understand you know how to be an ethical uh participant in this world right mm. um so things like considering like i can't take all the berries in this patch because the birds might need some the deer might need some or in the plant needs some because that's those are the seeds and they need to be able to reproduce like some of them need to just fall to the ground and be planted right mm -hmm. so things like that Oh, wow. And I almost feel like, you know, tapping back into like, you know, your our inner youth, right? I remember like coming up, I wasn't afraid of anything, really. Like mm -hmm. my sister and I, times have changed. We didn't have, yeah, we had Nintendo. Okay. But we were outside all day climbing right. trees, touching the sap. That was fun. Probably even tasted it. We were, I remember us, we had a blackberry tree right outside the building that we grew up in and no one told us that we couldn't eat it. And so we would eat the blackberries and we would be all up running down hills into the forest, everything, not thinking of poison ivy or none of that. And yeah. so it just has me thinking as you get up in age, right? Like I'm 40, I'm proud to say I'm 40. I just turned 40. Hey, and hey, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just like, where did all this like reservation, hesitation, like fear, like it's, it really is something to, to really tune into and just ask yourself because coming up, what? Yeah. You want me to run into the forest, dude? I am there, okay? Like you talking <laughs> to someone, me, my sister and I, we taught ourselves how to swim. My parents didn't know how to swim, like all the things, but um, it's it's definitely something to, to consider as part of the the journey and and you know getting into just even reintroducing yourself back to the land and foraging and stuff like that because I'm like I didn't have this you know I wasn't one I one one I open one I closed you know when I was out in the forest now I'm like what's yeah. out there <laughs> yeah. one other thing that I wanted um just mention about foraging before we move on is yesterday um before we were rudely interrupted by tech you know someone had said something to you about um foraging being like a wild thing or something and i just really i just really want you to restate that because i just oh, like yeah. lit a whole like light inside of me and i was like oh okay yeah. i like the way that sounds <laughs> right right yeah so one of the first like big you know like official plant walks that i went on was led by a person called eric joseph lewis i believe 
Uh, and he um, was he was the first time that I had a person like really introduce that spiritual aspect of foraging of like asking the plant for permission and like, you know, making sure that you're building a relationship. Um, and he encouraged everyone to eat something wild every day. Right. And um, it you know, he, he talked about his reasoning and like talked about the fact that agriculture, you know, both like for one is like not as nutrient dense the the food that comes from modern agriculture isn't nutrient dense because the the, the nutrients are being stripped from the soil because of those uh, industrial farming practices um so you know you're not getting as much nutrients as folks were like you know centuries ago um and or you could have centuries ago um and the other is like just the energy of that food is like if you have things that are being planted in these straight rows that are like very manufactured and like domesticated right like if you have a wild horse and you you, you have a thing called breaking its spirit where you know you literally whip it into domestication to the point where like humans can ride it right that's a different a different animal at the end of it right like it's not a wild horse it's a domestic horse so like i'm feeling the same thing with plants right like a wild plant that just kind of like naturally generates itself um and is planted in the forest and like is amongst its you folks in its natural habitat versus a thing that has been you know systemically taking out of its environment you know given much less space or much more space whatever it is um and forced to generate in this unnatural way like it's just a different energy right and like mm. you know as humans is, is we, if we strive to be more wild, like there's like a rewild movement, right? Um, if we strive to be more wild, then we might want to eat more wild foods to be able to internalize that kind of energy, right? Like I'm not just going to eat these these uh, foods that come from this big box store, or even the farmer's market, but I'm going to get some of that wild energy, which is both diversifying my gut biome um, and in, in uh, encouraging in me the ways that I want to nurture my own wild personality, like those thoughts that I have, those feelings that I have that are like weird and like not within any box that I've found in society or our culture or whatever. I'm going to encourage those to grow because that is my individual comp contribution to the ecosystem. Right. So being able to tap into and manifest and grow your own wilderness, you can do through being in the wild and consuming the wild, literally. We can end this show right now, okay? Because that was everything, okay? <laughs> Man, y'all see why I have these conversations? Y'all, these folks are smarter than me. I don't know anything. I literally, I just, I just host the conversation. I ask the question and they run with it. That is, oh my goodness. Like, I, I can't even break that into words. Like, I pulled so much from that. And I need somebody to make a t-shirt because I'm always giving someone an, an idea. You know how I many t-shirt ideas that I've given away here? Like, <laughs> like wild energy something. I need that on a shirt. I don't care if there's 50 million other people who oh. made the shirt. Make your own version. Okay. <laughs> there's yeah, a product for everyone own. here. <laughs> it's like there's a million brands of cereal. Like you get the concept. <laughs> like that's it. I love that. I do. And as someone who has um, actually, I've been very excited. I mentioned this before on shows that I've been getting um, subscribed to three part um, Harmony's Farm CSA. And mm -hmm. it has been everything for me and to me. Okay. And even more so committed to even though this is, you know, kind of derailing from foraging, but y'all get what I mean, just getting more soil rich food, I need that I am committed to eating more soil rich food as hyper locally as I possibly can by people who I know who have grown it cultivated it because I 
I'm in this place. My system needs that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm a wild thing. So hey. how about that? <laughs> I love that. And you just like really gave me additional permission to just really like, just, you know, be that wild thing like this. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that with me. That's awesome. All right. So before we wrap up, you got to talk about one more thing, but I'm still on wild thing and foraging in the inner wilderness and all that, but y'all will catch that y'all replay replay. Cause that, that was everything. So, um, agroforestry, you know, when I had bumped into you, Ruth, a few months ago over the summertime spring, um, you know, I know this is something that you and I chatted about and it's something you were getting into and learning more about and really working um, to to really learn about what further opportunities in agroforestry, first of all, to spread the gospel, to spread, to educate more people about it, but also just you really doing, doing some really uh, incredible work um, in working with farmers of color to let them know of opportunities in agroforestry. So. Um, before I dive in, because I can't tell y'all what it is, Ruth is going to tell, you know, really give us a spill on agroforestry and some of the work that Ruth has been doing, um, some of the consulting work um, that she's able to speak to as much as she can, but some of the research as well that you've been doing around agroforestry, because I, this is something that we actually have never talked about on the show. So I would love to expand upon it during this conversation. Yeah, cool. Um, So yeah, agroforestry, as the name implies, is agriculture and forestry put together. Um, So it's basically most like vegetable farmers um, in the States, you know, if they're traditional or conventional are just growing vegetables and then this like uh, in in rows, right? Like just rows, either diversified rows or just like monoculture rows of vegetables. and as I mentioned before, that's like kind of unnatural, right? Like if you look in a forest, there's like all these different species who are, you know, working together to create an ecosystem. Um, so those plants, you know, combined, uh, eat both supply different nutrients to the soil and like, you know, take different nutrients from for the soil, but like they all balance each other out. So when you mess that natural process up, it creates problems for the ecosystem ultimately, right? Like the, the invisible little microbes that are all in the soil, um, the root systems, like the mycelium network, which is like a whole like really cool, amazing uh, thing that I can't even get to, but uh, mushrooms basically have this invisible like underground uh, like root system that communicate between the, the trees and help them to exchange nutrients and things like that. Um, but yeah, so agroforestry is basically trying to replicate those natural systems by interweaving perennial co- crops with annual crops. So perennials are things that grow for more than one year um, or more than two years, like they're regenerating every year. Basically, annuals, as the name implies, are like things that grow and then you take them out of the soil. They're dead for that year um, after they produce. So you can have like the USDA has like five different practices that they uh, call agroforestry. Um, One is like windbreaks, which is just like using trees at the edge of your property to stop the wind from like coming in and damaging your crops. Um, The other is like one is like riparian buffers, which is um, helping at the edge of your property. Like if there's any waterways, helping nutrients or Mm -hmm. any pollutants from stopping to run in the water, um, you know, which is a big environmental justice issues in some areas. Um, And then you have alley cropping, which is like having you can still have those rows of annual crops, but you might plant like shrubs on the um, outside. So like in that system evolves where you will have like 
say collard greens or something in the middle and then you have like some raspberry bushes on the outside of that and then you have like some bigger trees that you plant like fruit trees nut trees or even timber trees um, and as those trees are getting bigger and bigger um, you're changing the things on the inside based on how much sunlight they need how much space they need and so it's a system that like you can invest in these long-term uh, crops or things like that won't be ready in 10, 15, 20 years, while also continuing to get income on those smaller crops and the annuals and, you know, the shorter term perennials. Um, then you have silvopasture, which is like integrating your livestock with trees, either by um, having your pasture, your livestock go into a forest that exists already and like having them forage for themselves or like find whatever food is in there. Um, or you can plant trees in the pasture that they're already grazing in. Um, and that's just like adding the root system, protecting from wind, all the other benefits of having trees on your property. And then the last that they have to find is um, forest farming. So like planting in the understory of a forest. So if there's an existing forest, you can have like mushroom crops or herbs or anything that can be grown in the shade and in, interweaved into the forest. Um, and that's like this really modern like defin def definition of agroforestry. But this is a practice that like our ancestors have done mm -hmm. all over the world, right? Like I'm really interested in that aspect of it, like returning to more natural ways of being and like, you know, being in relationship with the forest and our food. Um, but like a lot of like what we think of as wild, like even the Amazon forest has been shaped by indigenous peoples and then like planting cocoa trees and like, you know, different fruit trees that they were domesticating, but like, it just seems wild, right? Um, so yeah, I'm really curious about how we can return to that. And um, right now the project that I'm working on is figuring out how specifically to get BIPOC farmers involved in agroforestry. So there's like a lot of interest, but not a lot of support, right? Like it doesn't just require interest. Like we were talking about foraging earlier. It's not just, I wanna go eat things, but like, what do I eat? How, you know, like how much do I eat of it? Um, and that information isn't as accessible. So even like technical service providers like USDA agents and people like that don't have like a very clear, some of them don't have a very clear uh, estimate of how much it costs to implement cer certain uh, projects. So therefore they can't provide the funding or they can't assist with like the, the details of like the steps to follow. Um, and so we're, we're working on the technical aspect of that, but also the cultural aspects because a lot of these agents and, you know, folks are white and there's this, a long history mm -hmm. of, you know, USDA and other agencies like just discriminating against people of color. Like folks have probably heard of the Pickford trials where black farmers in the South sued the USDA for literally just like, ruining their businesses, telling them that they lost um, their papers when they had loans that, you know, they were depending on and things like that. And they ended up losing so much land. Um, so that kind of like cultural divide still exists. You know, there's like either mistrust um, of those folks or, you know, they just don't know how to talk to people in our communities. Right. So we're trying to understand, like, what are some of the barriers? Like what can be done to like kind of bridge those worlds to make sure that we are moving this work forward and that folks have access to what they need. Um, so right now I'm just doing interviews and like hearing from folks what they need um, and we're eventually that'll lead to an online curriculum that will be for technical service providers just like really wanting to understand that cultural aspect of the work. That is amazing, Ruth. I so look forward to, to the outcome. I, I know it's a it's not a one and done, but just the the um, the work that you've been leading and just starting and I know doing like those um, 
interviews, you know, just to, to get a read on, you know, what folks are thinking and just to gauge interest is, is where you start, right? And then the educating piece. So um, that is su super awesome. What has been some of the response um, um, and not, not that you need to share any like for, you know, commentary like verbatim, but just what generally what has been the, the response to, to um, agroforestry and just really gauging some of the interests and trying to get more farmers of color into this space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, with most parts of agriculture, like the biggest barrier for folks is land, right? Like, mm, do I have yeah. access to land, period, is yeah. a big barrier. But then like, do I have long-term access to land? It's another thing, Hello, right? say that because. again, long-term. <laughs> Because I right. bet you would have, okay, two years, you blink your eyes and it's like two years. Right. So, what am yeah. I supposed to do with that? Like, exactly. Um, yeah. So with agroforestry, if you're thinking about trees, right? Like the tree is going to be a baby for two years, right? Like I need seven years at least, you know, hopefully generations for these trees to be mm -hmm. able to really produce in a way that's like viable for a business um, because they're very cost uh, heavy up front, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a big barrier for agroforestry if they don't have a long-term lease or own the land in some way. Um, and yeah, again, as I said, the education, like uh, the people that do have access to land um, and want to start doing agroforestry may not know like the best ways to do it. And it's just like, you know, the internet can't really teach you as much. So it's, it's good to have people that can go out and show you like your specific landscape, what would be the best um, flow of different crops, you know, a system for both the business that you want to have and like the actual, uh, yeah, the land setup that you have. I don't know the technical term for that. Um, so yeah. And yeah, as far as culturally, like working with those folks, um, you know, I'm hearing that like privacy is a big thing. Like there's all these small town dynamics. Um, so they're, you know, the people that have the land are out in the country somewhere and there's like, there's maybe tension between the neighbors, especially if they're the only like folks of color there. So people are always watching if they start a new like radical project, there's like even more eyes and more judgment and like working with technical service providers can be one of the biggest ways to like have gossip spread, right? Like if you get a grant, for example, like somehow you go to the store and everybody knows <laughs> that you got that grant and yeah. you you may not want people knowing your business like that. Um, and just like how you communicate, how you find people, like it's word of mouth usually. So sometimes people will go into the office and like ask about a specific grant that they heard about from their farmer friend. And like the agent will be like, I never heard of that. Or like, let me check and like get back to you. And that could potentially cost them a hundred thousand dollars in like, um, you know, what they could have had access to, but the agent either wasn't educated or didn't know about it, you know, like, but you know, that could be anything. So um, yeah, we're still, we're still having those conversations and really trying to get, you know, um, a clear analysis, but it's, it's kind of the same story, you know, with that we've been hearing and people just like, don't want to give up power in certain ways. Um, so that's a big part of it. But um, yeah, like you said, there's no guarantee that the work that we're doing will completely transform everything, but we're really just trying to push that conversation forward um and do what we can you know with the time that we have that sounds like a lot of work and i want to say thank you for leading this work and um giving your flowers and if no one has told you as of late you are doing a really great job and i just appreciate you and every other brown folk folks in this in this space um so thank you so much that that means a lot you know 
um, just to have have you, you know, being, um, I'm sure, you know, there's some others, you know, partners and, and other individuals, but um, thank you because it's a lot and it's, it's really needed. And the land conversation is a complicated one, you know, not even just be, yes, stemming from history. Yes, it's all stemming from history, but just, you know, in general, you think about family, you think about like just what you name to to the neighbor. It's it's complicated. I feel like we just have a whole series about land, yeah. whole nother conversation. Uh-huh. <laughs> it is. It is. So, Ruth, I dropped your Instagram handle in the chat, but let folks know from your mouth verbally where to find you at on on the interwebs. You know, if they want to make if they want to reach out to you and follow you, I encourage you all to. Um, Ruth is, again, just really doing some dynamic things. So let them know where to find you. Yeah, Planet Jumping. That's uh, everything spelled normal. P L A N E T G J, not G. J U M P I N G. That's my personal handle uh, for the capital market, the farmers market in Capital Heights. It's uh, the capital market spelled with an A, so C A P I T A L. Uh, of 20743, which is the zip code in Capitol Heights. So the capital market of 20743. Awesome. Um, yes. And I'm actually going to drop that into the chat for folks. And I, I don't know if there's of uh, that's I'm, co- I'm doing a copy and paste and this is what I got. So uh, awesome. Uh, okay. The capital market 207. Four three. Four three. I'm missing a number. All right. Let me read. Let me <laughs> let me four three. I knew that wasn't right. The capital market two zero seven four three. All righty. Awesome. Okay. So before we officially wrap up, um, Ruth, one edible act that anybody can take today after listening to this show. One edible act. Okay. Okay. Hmm. I'll give you two if okay. you must. Right. <laughs> yeah. They, they, I'll make them go together so it makes sense. Okay. Yay. So, one, go on a plant walk, like find a plant walk to be able to identify at least one, one edible thing in your area. Right. And there's some things that'll be like specific to each season, and there's some things that might be available all year round. But find at least one thing that grows around you that you can eat. And two, eat it. (laughs) Like try to eat something wild as often as you can. Like when I was living in DC, I literally would just like find things that I could eat in people's like gardens at the front, not gardens, but like front yards or whatever that I didn't think would be contaminated. Like I was safe about it, but you know, on the way to work, I would literally find things to eat in DC. Um, So I think it, you know, it's more accessible than we think sometimes. So I mean, well, yeah, because when I went, when we went on our foraging tour with Naraj, I mean, we're in just suburb, like we're in DC, just random like neighborhoods and just walking and their yeah. bushes are there, you right. know, pointing out everything. You, you, you're near Costco and it's just like, oh, here's another tree, you know, growing such right. and such. So, <laughs> but again, with guidance, with guidance, with guidance don't parachute yeah. out there thinking you see something that looked like a berry, like we right. are not encouraging that. Okay. So right. reach out to Ruth. Um, visit the market, go on, you know, do a plant walk with, with Ruth and, and, and the team at the market. And then, you know, once we, once we get the, the foraging group popping, if that's what y'all want, let me know, shoot me a DM. I'm at food talks in color. Like I'm even, I'm interested in that. Um, and also my last tidbit, um, I love your Instagram handle, planet jumping t-shirt. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm really going to wrap with that. <laughs> all right. Thank you all so much for tuning in again. If you have not subscribed to our YouTube channel, please find Food Talks in Color on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. If you like the show, I hope you did. You better had totally joking. Go ahead and like it and love it with your heart and share it because sharing is caring. We want to get the word out. This is really, really, truly amazing conversation. Ruth, thank you for showing up for me, you know, for the show. So I appreciate all your wisdom and your guidance and your knowledge and look forward to having you back if, if you're willing to come back. So Aww, thank you. Yeah, this is great. Great talking awesome. to you, Melissa. <laughs> all right. Peace, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. You can catch today's episode on iTunes, Spotify, and Simplecast. And be sure to follow us at Food Talks in Color. That's just the letter N on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And did you know we are on Patreon? This is a way for you to take action and support our mission of amplifying BIPOC voices on the Edible Activist podcast. Visit patreon.com backslash Food Talks in Color to learn more peace and blessings. And remember, in the great words of Baba Tariq Adunu, there is no culture without agriculture. <laughs>